Marriage Matters. Um, so <clears throat> we're going to be looking at a couple of principles from Ephesians chapter 5 and then also kind of interwo- interweaving into it a little bit of um, my wife Christy and I's story. And, uh, and then at the end, we'll, um, we'll make ourselves vulnerable and available for any questions that you might have. If you don't have questions, that means we don't have to make up answers. And <laughs> we get to take a break early. So that's, but that's, you know, I'm not putting any pressure on you not to ask questions. I'm just, I'm just giving you the reality. So <laughs> anyway, so let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you. Thank you that marriage matters to you. And uh, Lord, you, you created it um, as the environment, the best environment for love relationship to flourish, for families to develop, and for uh, community and culture to, to form. And, uh, but also thank you, Lord, that our marriages matter. And Lord, the, the situations that we're in and the season that we're walking through, um, thank you that, you that you know it and that you have... Um, you have truth and principles and guidelines to help us through it. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> like I said, we're going to be looking here in Ephesians chapter 5. It's, there are, um, the, the Bible is not um, a marriage book. It's not what it is. Um, um, but the, the Bible is a book. It is a relationship book. And it's predominantly about relationship between us and God. But that relationship spills over into all of our human relationships. So the Bible has a lot to say about relationships. And the foundation of all human relationship is marriage. And so there are are truths throughout the pages of Scripture that applied to your marriage will be helpful. Um, You know, when... When we saw, you know, the verse about bridling your tongue or no corrupt communication, that's not a marriage verse. It's, it's a truth. It affects every relationship. And so any, anything, you know, where, where last night Malcolm referred to that passage in Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about um, uh, if there's any consolation in love, any, or any consolation, comfort in love, fellowship in the Spirit, let us, let's be, um, all have the same mind and talks about this humility of mind. And, you know, that sort of behavior towards one another is going to make your marriage better. But that's not a marriage passage. But there are a handful of passages in your Bible where the subject matter is specifically marriage. And one of those is here in, in Ephesians chapter 5. One of the things I think is important to understand is that um, the the book of Ephesians is a part of a larger endeavor that the Apostle Paul was on to bring the gospel and the kingdom of God to the area of Ephesus. So Paul had this heart. In, in, in the book of Acts, long before Paul got to go to Ephesus, he had a longing to go to Ephesus. He just really felt a, a compulsion, like, I want to serve the Lord there. And you, you may have had that experience. I've never really had that experience in my life. Um, I find out about places after I get there, you know, so like I moved to Vero Beach, Florida. I didn't know there was a Vero Beach, Florida. So it wasn't like I was at home as a child, like just had this heart for Vero and had been praying my whole life and God, you've got to use me in Vero Beach. I didn't know Vero Beach existed. That's not to say anything negative about Vero Beach. It's there's a lot of places I don't know exist. 
And but the <clears throat> but for Paul, he had this heart like I I need to bring the gospel to Ephesus. The the kingdom of God has to impact Ephesus. And so Paul and a small team of people brought the gospel there. They planted a church there. Paul lived there for over three years of his life. He invested in the lives of the believers and, and helped them to grow in their relationship with Christ. After he left, he wrote this letter to them to continue to help them develop in their relationship with God and the kingdom of God to have a further impact upon the community of Ephesus. Does that make sense? So one of the things that we find is that is that the, the word of God tends to subvert our thinking about other things. One of the things that happens in Ephesus is these guys, are they view life a certain way, and then they hear the word of God, and they realize, oh my goodness, I haven't been viewing life the right way. One of the things that happens in Ephesus is they had all these weird idols and all these books on like occultic practices. That was their lie. They come over to their house, and their coffee table book is... Weird occultic book practice is on their coffee table. And then they meet the Lord. And it's like, oh, this isn't how I have spiritual encounter with God. I don't need this anymore. And so one of the things that happens in Ephesus is, is they go and they break all their idols. And they burn all their weird books. They got rid of that. The word of God changed how they viewed things. So when we get to this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5, what happens is Paul is essentially asking the Christians to let the word of God redirect their thinking on relationship, on marriage. However you might have thought about marriage before you were a believer, whatever your upbringing was, whatever your experience was, he's saying, I want the word of God to change the way you think about marriage. You need to look at it differently. Um, I, I didn't grow up in a, in a Christian home. I didn't grow up going to church. Um, I didn't. I, and. I didn't, I, I held a Bible, it's a true story, I held a Bible one time at 15 years old. What had happened is a friend of mine, um, he had gone to visit his grandma. His grandma went to the Catholic church. He went to Catholic church every week for the three weeks that he was there. He came back at 15-year-old Glenn, and he got back, and he said, he said, oh, man, we need to be better. And I'm like, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> I don't want to be on restriction anymore. And my brother got you know, driven home last night in a police car. So um, I probably don't want that to happen. So, so he said, we need to get Bibles. And I said, OK. So I went home and I said, Mom, I, I want a Bible. And she said, OK. And, and I forgot. Like I made that statement and completely forgot a week or so later. I came into my, my bedroom, and there's this little green book on my bed. It says New Testament. This says Gideon at the bottom. And I looked at it, I'm like, what is this? And I go, Mom, what is this? She goes, that's a Bible. I go, this is a New Testament. I wanted a Bible, not something written in the 70s. That's, I honestly said that. Okay, it said new. It was, it was 1981 at the time. So, and, um, and I had no idea what I held up. That was the first time I'd ever held a Bible in my hand. I had no idea what was inside it. I opened it up. I thought I'd try to read it. I opened it up. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac begot Jacob. And Jacob... <laughs> I, true story. 100% true. I threw it over my shoulder. I said, Bible's not for me. Threw it over my shoulder. A few years later, I cleaned my room. I'd become a Christian. 
And uh, I found it. I still have the little, the little Bible. But I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know anything about the Bible. The Bible did not influence the way I thought about anything. It didn't influence the way I thought about free time, about private time. It didn't influence the way I, I thought about interpersonal relationships. It didn't, um, it didn't influence the way I thought about the opposite sex. It didn't influence the way I thought about what a relationship with the opposite sex would be like. It didn't influence any of those things. Then I became a Christian. I met Jesus. And now the word of God starts to influence the way I think. And one of the things, when Christy and I started a relationship, and, and I didn't know how to do this thing, I knew enough Bible to know that we needed to stay pure. But I didn't know how to do this relationship. And I certainly didn't know anything about marriage. And, uh, and so we, um, we experienced a lot of conflict early on in our dating relationship. And we would, uh, a typical day together would look like this. We would get together, I would do something to hurt Christy's feelings, she would be upset, she would start crying, I would be trying to figure out how to get out of this conversation. And, um, and so that was a typical, and, and most every day that we spent together would end up you know, crying and in some sort of an argument. And, uh, and so I remember one particular day, we were in, in my car out front of her parents' house. We'd come to that point, however long we'd been together that day, we'd come to that point in the day where I've hurt her feelings and she's crying and I'm trying to get out of it. And um, I looked at her and I just said, this is not working. I said, and I said, so you have one week to change. And <laughs> if you don't change, this relationship's not going to work, okay? And that's a true story, okay? You can talk to her afterwards. And I honestly, at the time, I, I thought, like, that was being tremendously benevolent, you know? I mean, I was expecting change, and I was giving her an ample amount of time to make the appropriate changes within her life. I mean, a week has a lot of stuff you can get done in a week. Like, you could rip out all the flooring in your house and refloor your house in one week. Like, you could do that, right? Okay, you could knock a wall down, reframe a wall, drywall, mud it, paint it, put all the framing. You get all that done in a week. There's a lot of things you get. So to just make those changes in her, that would then make for a healthy relationship in one week, that was super benevolent. I didn't realize at the time how incredibly egotistical and selfish that statement was. And we also made a pact in that week that we wouldn't talk to each other. And, uh, and that we, would just, we were just going to pray and seek the Lord and see, like, is this relationship worth continuing? And so after a couple of days, the Lord spoke to me. And, what the, and, and his exact verbiage, um, I can't tell you. Um, but essentially what the Lord said is, I was completely wrong. How I was viewing everything that we were, that we were doing was completely wrong. And I called her. I broke the pack. I said, we need to get together and talk. And I said, I'm completely wrong. And how I've been viewing our relationship and is, is wrong. And we've got to figure this relationship thing out. And so what we did is we then went to God's word and we started looking at what the Bible had to say about relationship and ultimately about marriage. Like, what does that look like? What does is, what is a marriage relationship look like? And, and what it did is it caused us to have to say, we're not going to view relationship, we're not going to view marriage how, we've, how it's been modeled for us by our parents. I, I had parents that weren't believers. They, their goal wasn't to please the Lord. Um, Christy had parents that were 
believers and, and in many ways set a good example. But, but it's not going to be the model of just what was passed on to us. We're, we're not going to just look out at culture and say, well, this is how marriage is done in culture. You're madly in love with each other and you get married and you have a honeymoon experience that goes for a couple of years and then you, you know, have children and then you become parents and then you raise them and then they grow up and leave and you become roommates until you can talk them into having grandkids for you and then you can start another season of life. It's like, I'm not sure that's the biblical model. And so what we did is we like, let's go to the word of God and let's let the word of God speak into our marriage. And so what I would encourage you, regardless of how long you've been married, I would encourage you, I think what, what God wants to do is he wants to subvert or overthrow or rewire the way you view your relationship with your spouse. Like just, you know, you like go... Well, I do it this way because my dad did it this way and his dad did it this way and his dad before that. And God says, yeah, and you're all wrong. <laughs> like, you're not supposed to do that. Stop it. Okay. And, and so the, the idea of like, we just want to let God's word affect how we view this thing. Because I think that God designed the marriage relationship to be a, a, a beautiful relationship, not something that just starts out wonderful, and then you endure through the rest of life. I think it's supposed to be something that gets better and better and better because the marriage relationship is a, is a reflection of the relationship that we have with God. And isn't that relationship supposed to be getting better over time, not worse? Like, it's like, like hey man, the day you came forward at that altar call and gave your life, it's downhill from here. <laughs> Enjoy it. Enjoy this euphoria because it's going to be bad for the rest of the, you know, that I don't think that's God's design for your relationship with him. And I don't think that's God's design for your marriage. So all of that to say, I want you to note four things here in Ephesians chapter five um, that um, I think are important um, principles that will help us in our marriage relationship. Um, the first verse is verse 21. Ephesians 5, verse 21. If you have a Bible, what's the first word there? Submitting. submitting. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. Now, um, when you read your Bible, one of the important things to do is not to project meaning into your Bible, but to derive meaning from the Bible. So whatever view you might have, like the word submission is not necessarily a positive word in 21st century Western culture, is it? It's not necessarily a good word. It has all sorts of things attached to it that may or may not be what this Bible word means. Okay, this is a value word. Okay, this is a, a word of, of value. It's the idea of putting um, a high price tag upon something, and then it carries the idea of, as a result, of being willing to, to surrender to it. And so what Paul is saying here is he's saying um, that we need to voluntarily, willingly value one another. And, and you know, be, it, relationship is about valuing one another. It's a contract where we value each other. And a marriage relationship is about mutual submission. Um, this is kind of the way we view it that Christy and I have developed into a covenant, a contract, a relationship 
where we are determining that we are going to be seeking God together for what his plans are for our lives and for our families. Like we're in this together. That's what mutual submission is. It's like together we're saying, together we're seeking God. What does God have for us? What does God have for our family? So when we face something as a, you know, the as our family grew, and as it grew, that then the the you know variables also increase and the challenges increase and the opportunities increase. And we're we're faced more and more with things that we're we're not sure what to do. So we're covenanting together to say we're going to see God together for what does God have for us? What what is the right thing to do? You know, our kids are growing and you know this this son wants to go do this thing. Should we do that? It's not just a matter of I make the decisions because I'm the man and you do what I say. No, we're covenanting together to seek the Lord. And so we, we, we would seek the Lord together for what God has for our family. We're supposed to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. Marriage is about mutual submission, valuing each other, putting a high price tag on each other. I know that, that biblically speaking, that Jesus did not pay a different price for men or women. There's not a different price tag. I know that, this, that it's not a, a different spirit of God did not enter a woman that entered a man. The same spirit of God. I know that the word of God that the spirit of God uses to instruct me is the same word of God that the spirit uses to instruct Christy. So if Christy's sitting down, there's a situation going on with our family, and Christy wakes up in the morning, she's spending time with the Lord, she's praying through it, and she comes to me and she says, hey, I think... I was praying and I think, look at, I think the Lord's telling me this. I'm going to put a super high price tag on that. I'm going to submit to one another in the fear of the Lord. We've covenanted together. There is no one who has more investment in our family than us, right? And we're invested together in this thing. We're covenanting together. We're saying, we're saying we want to together develop what the mind of the Lord is for this thing. And you think you heard something from God? I'm going to put a high price tag on that. Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. That's, a, that's healthy marriage. The second thing, notice what he says then in uh, verse 22. He says, wives, what's that next word? I only heard male voices. <laughs> what's the first word in verse 22? So who's that, who's that to? Wives, this is your verse, okay? It's, it's, it's amazing, like, all the men know this verse. It's incredible. I mean, like, they have it tattooed, and they just, I know this verse, okay? But it's not for the men, okay? This doesn't say, Jim, tell your wife to submit to you. This says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So marriage is built on mutual submission. We're coveting together to, you know, to seek the, the mind of the Lord for our relationship, and as our family expands, and, and, and like I'm happy, is expanding, um, we're seeking the Lord together. But there also is an element of divine authority. There's, you know, just like um, for any system to function, it has to have order. If there's not order, the system can't function. Um, the, largest, the largest system that we know about is the universe. Does the, is the universe, was it created by God with certain rules to govern it and, and keep order? Absolutely. They're, they're measurable, right? I mean, science, to a large degree, is discovering what those rules are because when we can discover those rules, like we can unlock this tremendous potential, right? So some character discovers this thing called calculus. 
And it's like, oh my goodness, this actually works, this thing. The universe is designed like this and we can figure this out and now all of the whole digital world that we have and you know, your ability to hold a phone in your hand and talk to a friend in West Africa with a phone in his hand, it's like, that really existed. That was in the universe that God created. There's order to it. There's, you know, simpler parts of, of it, maybe not simpler, but for us to understand simpler, like gravity. Gravity is a, it's, it's by design. There's order. When you drop something, when you drop your phone, what happens? It falls face down and cracks. Okay? Right? That's what happens to your phone. It goes down. And, and it's order. It's measurable. If you hold something and you drop it a hundred times, how many times is it going to go to the ground? A hundred times, because there's order. If there was an order, the world would be in utter chaos. You wouldn't know when you let go of something. It's like, darn it. Got to pick me up, hun. Keys went up. Okay? Hey, you're never, ever going to find them. Or they went side. Like, there's order. So for a system to function, there has to be order. And in the marriage relationship and the family unit, God's placed order. It says the head of every woman is man and the head of every man is Christ. There's order. And so just as there's mutual submission, there's also a divine order. There's a, there's a you know, there's, we use, I don't know if we still use the phrase, I kind of grew up on it, but the buck stops here. Like there's an ultimate in any system, any organization, there's ultimately a, you keep opening doors, you come to, it's like someone's making the final decision, right? There's, there has to be that. So there is a divine order. Now, I, um, I think that as a couple, I think that Christy and I have done a very good job of mutual submission. I think that we talk through things, we pray through things. And so actually, a few years ago when I was writing the, the marriage handbook, I was thinking through this concept, and I asked Christy, I said, hey, I think we do this mutual submission really well. I said... Um, are there any times that you could, I, I said, are there any times where you felt like you had to submit to my authority? And she very quickly said yes. Like, <laughs> like she'd already been thinking about it. And so I said, could you give me an example? And she gave me two. I didn't ask for two. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so she, she, she gave me, and they were, they were both very valuable. She's, the first one she said was with um, the disciplining of our children. She said, there were times where I felt like you were being too harsh. And by the way, quick pause, I didn't have the kids hung upside down over one of the trees in the woods behind the house. I was smacking the back of their feet. Like, that's, I'm not that kind of harsh. She was just thinking I was coming down too heavy upon them, and everything in her wanted to intervene and step in. And she said, but there were times where the Lord would say, they, she could told me one particular time where the Lord says, you can't get in the way of what I'm doing in your son's life right now. And she had to step back and, and allow, like her view of, of how I should be, you know, responding to his misbehavior and my view weren't equal. And she wanted to say, don't do that to my boy, right? But she had to submit to the fact that she believed that I was taking the, the, you know, the reins on this thing and moving forward with it. And, and there were, that wasn't an isolated case. There were several times in the discipline where my thinking of what needed to be done was more severe than perhaps what she thought. And so that was a time where she would have to submit. Again, I'm, 
I want to reinforce so you don't misunderstand. I'm not talking about beating my children, okay? That's a different Bible study when I'll talk to you about safe ways to beat your children. No. Um, the second example that she gave is she said, she said when we moved to Florida from Southern California. And what had happened is um, uh, we had sensed about five or six years before that the Lord's starting to stir us. I, I was, a, in a, I was um, serving at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa. Um, I served with the youth ministry, and I also was a teacher um, in their Christian school. I taught Bible in uh, five years in their middle school and three years in the high school. And, um, and about six years before we moved to Florida, there was a sense in us that it was like, I think the Lord's calling us into something else. And we'd been praying, and, and randomly, one Tuesday morning at 7 a.m., my phone rang, and a friend of mine said, hey, I, I heard about this group of, of Christians that are in Vero Beach, Florida, um, and they're in need of a pastor. And I thought, there's a Vero Beach, Florida? <laughs> Honestly. Um, and uh, so he said, hey, here's this guy's number. Um, if I, he said, I just thought about you, and I was praying about it. Here's this guy's number. Well, I had kind of made a deal with the Lord that, um, that any opportunity that the Lord gave me to, to serve him, I would take, unless he told me not to do it. Instead of having to pray about each and every one, hey, do you want to come teach at this thing? Well, let me pray about it. It's like, the Lord already told me to go teach. He's going to have to stop me if he doesn't want me to do it. So I picked up the phone. I called this guy. He said, well, would you like to come out here and meet with us? And I said, sure. And so we flew out. Christy and I flew together. We came out, we spent a couple of days out in Florida and uh, met them. I taught the, a Bible study and we left and, and honestly, it was, it, what did the Lord say? Nothing, like I didn't hear anything, like absolute, complete, total silence. And so I got home, we prayed for a week or so, I called the guy back and I said, listen, I, I have no direction from the Lord at all. I said, I think the only way is to take another step forward. I think we should come back out and speak again. Well, it was a number of weeks before we could come back, and uh, I, Christy wasn't able to come that time. And so I'm going to get on the plane. Now, this is back before um, the tragedy that we unfortunately had to celebrate yesterday. And uh, is today is the 11th? Sorry, today. So um, my anniversary threw me off track. Um, but, uh, but the, you know, you used to be able to walk up to the gate of the plane. So Chrissy walks with me to the gate of the plane. I'm going to get on the plane. It's a red-eye flight. And she says this to me. She says, last words, whatever the Lord tells you to do, do it. So I go get on the plane. I fly. I, I gather with that group of believers that Sunday morning. We're in a, in a room maybe twice the size of this with maybe one-tenth of the number of people. And uh, I'm standing there, and I'm teaching the Bible. And, uh, and I just sensed from the Lord, move your family here. And it was, I mean, I'm like five minutes into a 40-minute Bible study, and I get this sense from the Lord, move your family here. And I've got to compose myself and keep teaching the Bible. And uh, so I finish up, and I drive back to the airport. I fly home, and, and Christy says, so what do you think? What? And I said, I think the Lord's telling us to move. And she told me years later, but she told me this, these are her exact words. She said, she said, when you said that, every part of me wanted to do what God wanted us to do, and no part of me wanted to move to Florida. Do you ever have those experiences? Like 100% of me wants to do this. I think God wants us to do it, and no part of me wants to do that. 
And, and, but she was like, if you believe, like God hadn't spoken to her. She wasn't standing in front of that group of people with that sense of the Lord saying, move. She was having to trust that I believed that God was telling me that. She had to trust that. And she had to pack her, her well, we waited until Shane was born. So four children, our oldest was five, identical twin sons were three, and an infant, six weeks old when we moved and pack up and move across the country. We didn't know anybody in Florida. And you know, we left all of our family and our, our church and our community and everywhere we'd been. And we left that and she left. Listen, she left on this, I believe that, that God has spoken to you and I wanna do what God has called you to do. That's divine authority. You understand, it's not me coming in with my hand. You're doing what I say, woman. We're going to Florida. I'm not going to Florida. <laughs> yes, you are, come on. Okay. That's not the divine authority we're talking. That's not submission. Submission is you have this beautiful relationship to where you develop such a trust that you guys are able to face something and go, okay, if this, you feel like this is the Lord, let's go. Um, the third thing, he transitions, verse 25. He says, husbands, what? Love. Good job, men. That's mostly men voices too. So maybe the men are just... Maybe the men are just more engaged this morning, ladies. Time for you to step up your game. Um, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So, and he goes on to talk um, more about that. Um, so the, the third thing is this idea of love. And I, I would say two things. I would say that marriage is also um, built upon mutual love. Okay? It's built on mutual submission and divine authority. It's also built on mutual love. This, this conversation that um, Paul is having with married couples when he says, husbands love your wife, is not divorced from everything else that Paul has been saying to believers about love, right? Love is the foundation of all relationships. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God and to love one another, right? So love is the foundation of relationship. It's a mutual love um, that we express towards each other. And, um, <clears throat> and, uh, so, so the, the idea is that the, this relationship is a love relationship. Now, I think um, the, the, the onus is placed upon the man here, husband, love your wife, because the idea is there's, there's a responsibility, part of the responsibility of leadership in the home is to develop a loving environment within the home. One of the things that we do, you likely do them at your fellowship as well, but we, we do de baby dedications at the church. We take a, the model from uh, Hannah dedicating Samuel to the Lord there in 1 Samuel because, because, listen, the world was in total disarray in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Israel was a train wreck. The, the nation was falling apart economically. It was falling apart spiritually. It was falling apart socially. It was falling apart morally. And God's solution was one young man dedicated to the Lord. So we take baby dedication super serious, right? We say, this family wants, and so what we do, and, and we come, we're not just dedicating a child to the Lord. We're saying this whole family is dedicating themselves to the Lord. And one of the things that we always pray for and encourage is, is that this child that they would, they would be in an environment where they would never know a day where they don't know the love that God has for them. That the love and the grace of God would be evident within the home. 
That, that's what the home's supposed to be like. It's supposed to be a place, like no matter what the world is, your home is to represent the kingdom of God. It's a different place. You have a new king. Like you have, you have a whole new system of rules. So, so the world, you turn the news on, you go, oh my gosh, the world's crazy. It's completely lost its mind. You turn it off and it's like, not here. We haven't lost our mind here. We, we have a different king. We have a different kingdom. We have, we have the, the peace of God. We have the, the, the principles of God to guide us. Um, Christy and I have a, 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 this, these friends. They, they live in, in Ramallah, Palestine. And uh, they are, they're Palestinian. And they, uh, it's a family, the, the father and the mother. They have four children. The oldest son, we were just able to go to his wedding. Um, and this family, they are unbelievable. They love the Lord so much. They're so sweet. We, we went over, we spent a few days with them. We you know, had meals in their home. And, and, uh, and it's, it's amazing. You're in Ramallah. I mean, we, were, we actually went to, there's this uh, coffee shop in Ramallah. It's called Stars and Bucks. <laughs> At labeling looks everything like Starbucks. It's called Stars and Bucks. You go inside, you would think you're in a Starbucks. And we're sitting on, on a, in this booth um, and the, the like window view to this, this um, traffic circle, the center of the city. And we're looking out and we watch as these camera crew shows up and then these picketers show up. Camera crew is there first and then the picketers show up and they've got all these signs, and they're picketing about some, you know, some conflict. There's always conflict going on, you know, between what's happening in the, in the West Bank or, or the Palestinian Authority and Israel, and they're picketing. And there's all, and we're looking. And there's all this total, utter chaos going on right below us. That's the city. That's the life. That's the world in Ramallah. Chaos. And then we went into their home. It was unbelievable. Peace and love, and joy, and it was like, I could live here. I could live here, and when I was outside, I was like, I can't live here. When I said, I could live here. It's like the kingdom, it's beautiful. And so listen, our homes, that's what's supposed to happen. We're, we have a responsibility to have this love environment within our home. We love God, we love each other, we respect each other, we treat each other well. He says, the, the idea of marriage is to be built upon, the home is to be built upon mutual love. But then he says this, husbands, love your wives. It's also to be built upon divine love. Husbands love your wife like Christ loves the church. That there's, a, there's an expression of love. I touched on in the, in the session a few minutes ago about um, this idea of learning how to express love to each other. There's a, a man by the name of Gary Chapman. He wrote a book called Five Love Languages. It's a brilliant book. It's very well written. The premise of his book, um, he doesn't put it exactly this way, but the premise of his book is that we are all self-centered. Okay, that's the basic premise, and, and that's an easy conclusion to come to. Like, any, anybody here people watchers? Okay, like, you just sit back, just like watch people, like, like oh, our plane's delayed, goody. Like, <laughs> this, this is gonna be fun. Can you just watch people do weird stuff? And, and, but listen, one of the things, like psychology are just, psychologists are just professional people watchers, okay? That's all they do, they just look a little more carefully than we do. And, and you uncover certain things about human behavior. And one of the things you uncover is that people are selfish by nature. And so what he discovers is that 
in, in relationships, what happens is you have this, this period when you first begin to fall in love. He, I think he calls it romantic obsession. And basically, it's that idea of just, you, you met that person, you're just, you're just overtaken by them. They can't do anything wrong. Like, you don't see anything wrong with them. You know, they, your friends go, um, like, does her laugh bother you at all? Oh, I think it's amazing. And you're like, she laughs like a horse. It's unbearable to all of us. And you're like, oh, it's just so cute or whatever. You know, like, you just nothing bothers you about. Well, psychologists, professional people watchers, they say that this romantic obsession lasts about two years. And after about two years, it's measurable. After about two years, you actually start to notice things about that person, okay? okay? Like, I get I get taps. <laughs> like this. Because there are so many things like that I do that irritate Christy. And, and they're not intentional. Like, there are things that I do intentionally to irritate Christy. Don't get me wrong, okay? But but there are a lot of things that are, they're not intentional. I just, I'm... I'm not, I'm, how do I say, like, there's kind ways to say, like, I'm fidgety or I have a lot of energy. There's not as kind ways to say the same thing, but I'm just, I'm a squirrel. I cannot sit still. I'm a constant motion. And so as a result, like, you know, just to sit like, like this, like the way you try to teach your children to sit when they're in a setting like this, I cannot do that. <laughs> so I'm always doing something and I'm getting, right? Just this touch. Listen, the first two years, I didn't get that. <laughs> now it's like, I got a list. <laughs> Number 800, and no. So, but I'm teasing. She likes me. But, the, um, <laughs> but you, you get the idea. Like, there's just that realization. We start to see, and, and those, those things are measurable. Well, what Chapman says in, in this book is he says, listen, real love doesn't express itself until romantic obsession comes to an end. You can't, you can't love like Christ loves the church until there's something about that that you have to, you have to overcome that to express love. Like that's what, that's what divine love is. Loving like Christ loves the church. And learning then how to, he goes on in the book to then talk about these five love languages. He basically says like there's five different types of people and whatever. Another guy does it with islands, five different islands, whatever. But the, the idea is that we, we give and receive love differently. We learn that. We learn how to express that. But the basic principle is that we have to be willing to overlook the things to express that love. That's what Jesus did. Now, the love that is expressed here, I'm going to read it to you, make comments, and then I'm going to open up for any questions. I'm going to make Christy come up here to answer the questions, by the way. But <laughs> verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present herself, I'm sorry, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes his flesh just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and be joined to his, his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two become one. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let each of you in particular, so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So he talks about this love. He says, 
We're to love as Christ loves the church and gave himself. And so the, the love that Christ um, expressed to the church is something that um, is measurable. It's a measurable love. He's, he's done something to it that, that there, are, there are a lot of things in life that call into question God's love for us, right? I mean, probably all of us have gone through a season in life where we've looked and we've gone, you know, God, I, I thought that you loved me. I, I'm having a very difficult time reconciling the fact that you say you love me and the experience that I'm going through right now. Every one of us has had that, right? And what do we fall back on? We fall back on something that God's done that demonstrates his love, and that demonstration of love overshadows anything that would call that into question, and that's the cross. Like, that's the measurable thing. He says, this, this is it. I, I don't understand, God. I don't understand how this person fell sick and passed away, and they meant so much to me, and they were a good person, and you let that person live. Like, I don't get it. And it's a struggle, and we wrestle through it, but then I go to the cross, it's like, but that is the ultimate demonstration. And so kind of the idea is in this divine love, a husband to his wife, there needs to be such a bedrock um, proof of our love for our wife that no matter what causes and a, a, you know, a bad day, a wrong comment, a stressful season that we're going through, that doesn't, it, it might cast some shadow. I don't think you're really loving me right now. Like the way you're talking to me right now is not loving but I don't doubt that you love me. I know you must be going through something. So listen, maybe I can help you through that. It's a totally different thing. The love is bedrock. And so he says that. Another thing about this love is that this love is extravagant. God goes to great lengths to, to show this love. And he even says, I love this phrase. He, says, he talks about the washing of water with the word of God that he might... Um, uh, that she might be without spot or wrinkle. Like, Paul, did you really say that? Like, you don't ever mention spots or wrinkles to your wife <laughs> under any circumstances. That is not smart. Like, look at her go, oh, your face looks kind of wrinkly, okay? That's a bad thing. Like, you, you, you know, you, you got to build a really big love bank to get away with a comment like that. But, but, but he says, listen, this, this love that God has is so incredibly, it's, it's extravagant. And he goes to extravagant means by which to express that love. And then he uses words um, nourish and cherish. And the words nourish and cherish are only used um, here and one other time. They're, they're used of the way a father and a mother care for a, a child. Right? That's, it's, it, there's a different way that you hold an infant than you hold a bag of groceries. It's a, it's a difference, right? I mean, I, I, my, my grandson is amazing. He's the, he is the coolest little guy. And, and he's pretty, he's got a lot of girth now. He's a substantial little guy. But when he first showed up, you know, they delivered him. And, and uh, he, he was so fragile. And I was petrified when I was holding him. I hadn't held something, you know, this little and valuable in a long time since I held his dad. And, and he was, you know, so, and I'm thinking, I just want to be so careful. I don't want to lose my grandparent privileges on the first day. <laughs> so, you know, but there's a, there's a difference. And, and so Paul uses the same terminology that, uh, you know, that you'd use for an infant child being nourished and cherished. And says, that's the same ter terminology of a husband for his wife. Like it's, it, that's the expression 
of love. So four things we want to we want to let God's word kind of subvert the way we look at marriage. Don't view marriage as, well, this is how we've always done it. Or this is this what our friends' marriages look like. And it's fine for them. It must be fine for us. Like, we want to let God's word speak into our marriage. And our marriage should be based upon mutual submission. You're covenanting together that you're seeking the Lord together for your, your relationship and for your family and for what that looks like. God's plan for your life. Together you're seeking the Lord. There's a divine authority. Ultimately, where it comes down to, God, what do you want to do? And you want to, men, you want to develop such a culture within your home that your wife can trust you when you say, I think this is the Lord. And it's built upon mutual love, where you're expressing love to one another. You're building one, one another up. And then it's also built upon this divine love. Extravagant expressions of love that makes you like, like in this home, love is evident. So that said... Um, I'm going to ask if Christy would come join, come take over. I'm going to, no. And um, so we thought we'd open it up to any questions that you might have um, about our relationship, anything you might want to ask her about what it's really like, <laughs> um, or e maybe even, you know, parenting questions that you might have. We have four grown sons. We do not think of ourselves as experts in any mains, but we can tell you what we did wrong and guard you against doing the same thing. <laughs> So, anyone have any questions? So, if you don't, you get snack earlier. <laughs> so. I have a sure, sure. So, um, you had touched on um, um, the behavior and the discipline part. So, we have a 13-year-old now. I, that's her son on the step. So, when it comes to Parenting and enforcing. Um, I don't want to use enforcing as a, a bad thing, but the discipline part. There's times where I don't see eye to eye with them. And that's probably our main issue that we're going through. So I'm in the middle. So that's here, I'm here, she's here. Right? So it, 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 to me, it's like sometimes I just want to step back and say, well, you know what? Just figure it out. You support. Because Constant, not a constant, but it, it happens. Yeah. So to me, it's just like, you know what? I'm going to take a step back, do what you want to do. Yeah. Which I know it's wrong to do. Yeah. But sometimes you're human and you just say, yeah. that's what happens. What do you recommend? How long have you been married? Three years. Three years. Congratulations. Thank you. Mm -hmm. cool. um, I, I would say that fits into that, that first thing on mutual submission. And I would say that, you know, you, you're... You're trying to, you're on a long journey and you're still pretty early on in the journey. You're three years into what should be the rest of your life. And, um, and so what you're facing right now is you, you're, you're facing this situation where it's like, okay, we're, we're clearly not on the same page. So I would say that you want to, um, fo your focus wants to be, okay, what is the same page? Like, what is the, the ultimate, what is the goal here? There's, there's um, you know, you, you could set some parameters that would like safeguards. It's okay for we're gonna figure this out. In the meantime, these this is as wide as it's it, it can go, while we sit and try to figure out the specifics. But I would say the the focus like this is a great weekend for you guys, and you're just saying what has to happen. We just have to be on the same page, and we don't there there can be some flexibility because the um, 
uh, what is, what's the word I'm looking for? You don't know it because I haven't said it yet. <laughs> but once I say it, you're going to go, oh, that was that yeah, word. Yeah, that was a good one, too. Um, infractions, that was the word. And uh, so, you know, they, they, your son or daughter? Son. Son, so he, he commits an infraction, does something he said. Those vary. And so the, the degree of which you respond to those vary. But I think what ultimately it comes down to is, is you guys deciding together. Like, we just have to get on the same page. What that is. Who responds when something like this happens? When, where do we send them? We talk together. Who goes in to see them? How do we do that? You just have to walk through those things together. Um, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say there's no right or wrong, but there's a lot less right or wrong than you think there is. And really, it's just being in agreement. It's like, okay, we're in agreement together. We're not, it's not okay for me to get up and yell and, do that, and then you step in and do that. That's not going to work. That's just going to create chaos. So how do we um, form a united front? Hope that if that doesn't help, just Thir ask. Thirteen-year-old boys are hard, no matter what. Whether you're a stepdad yeah. or you're the mom or you're the dad, it's a difficult season, and understand that and give grace to him. I know that, um, like James Dobson said, is it rebellion? Is it an accident? Is it just him growing up? I know one of the things that maybe we regret in raising our boys is we didn't let them have a voice sometimes at that age and just went in with all you know guns roaring I don't know um, and blazing and we have two that are very quiet and so that's overwhelming to them when we come in and we're telling them and disciplining them and one of them I remember like a tear just running down his face because we didn't ever give him a voice and that's what he felt like this is the age where they have opinions and they have voices and to be willing to listen to them and placing value on them, even in the difficulties, letting them know that they're valuable and that what they um, are feeling or what they believe, letting them have a voice. And it may not always be right, but to be able to communicate with them in a way that's not always angry, because it's hard, <laughs> right? Anybody else have teenage boys? It's hard. <laughs> For sure. So yeah, um, the, the mind of a teenager is insane. <laughs> <laughs> but they don't think it is, right? It makes, it makes perfect sense to them. And so if all that we're doing is squashing and not letting them express that, like it matters. So one of the things, like this, this is free information. But um, one of the things, you know, Christy would say is, is you know, the, the adage is teenagers don't want to talk to your, to their parents. Christy would say, no, that's not true. Teenagers love to talk to their parents. They just don't want to talk to their parents about what their parents want to talk about, right? You want to talk about school and your future, and all of a sudden they're like, okay. But listen, there's things. Christy knows more about baseball than anybody who doesn't want to know anything about baseball should ever know. And, and because, you know, our three of our sons were our huge baseball fans. And they're so, and, and so she, she knows batting stance. Like, you know, eight-year-old Shane gets up and does a batting stance and she can tell what player that is. I mean, just, just every detail because she's interested in what they're interested in. And I think that there's value in that. Any other questions? Uh, yes, sir. So, um, in terms of the neutral submission, yeah. right, I think um, one word that comes to mind is communication. Right? 
bit that the beginning can be emotionally charged. So if you could just speak on how to do that properly. No, you answer that. You're way better. <laughs> I have a talker for a husband, so we do have to work on that where he can, listen. Why, he can win every argument yeah. because he's a professional. And that is hard for someone who my thoughts are 10 minutes off, you know, and he's already round up and gone around the corner and I'm like, wait. So I think he's I'm better at that. Imagine what it would be like being married to a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of am. Torture. Yeah, so... Um, you know, the, often, you know, you hear the, the primary problem in relationships is communication. And that, that can be a primary problem. Um, it's usually not a lack of communication. It's usually what is communicating. You're always communicating something, right? <laughs> Disdain or disinterest or whatever. But um, so how to communicate well. Um, and I think, I think you nailed it for mutual submission to work. Communication has to be, um, has to work as well. We have to be able to talk things through, even like what you guys just mentioned. Like, we've got to talk through this and come up to, with, with agreement. Um, and we've got to be able to reach agreement. Um, what happens, um, you know, opinions and when, when you're in relationship and you use your, your vantage point, you see things one way and so you develop an opinion, this is the way it should be done. You're convinced it's correct. And you convince that the other person, you know, that, that they're just wrong. What, what submission is, it's a value word. And it puts, it puts value on the fact, like, like Christy's looking at, one, at something from one vantage point and she's come to a conclusion and she thinks this is the right solution. I'm looking at it from a different vantage point and I've drawn a different conclusion. I think I'm right. If I didn't think I'm right, I wouldn't have that opinion. I would just say, sure, do whatever you want. But I think I'm right. So what I have to do is I have to be able to value. I might not value her conclusion. I think you're wrong. That's a wrong conclusion. But I value you. So if I value you, I'm going to let you explain your conclusion to me. I'm going to let you explain. Like We're going to talk about why you think this is a good idea because I don't think it's a good idea at all. But we're going to be willing to talk about this rather than me just feeling threatened that my decision is being undermined or whatever. So I think part of it is just like, I value you. Like, you matter to me. I love you. And if I'm seeing, you're seeing this and I'm seeing this different, we have to be willing to talk this through. Now, there are situations where it's not a, you know, the building's on fire and we got, oh, so do you think we should go in the east exit or do you think we should use the ladder up this way and meanwhile the buildings, there's, there's things we have to re I'm, we're talking about principal issues like that, you know, long term, bigger, and that we have to be able to walk through those and talk through them. So my counsel would be, even if you disagree, put a high price tag on each other and be willing to listen. Explain to me why you, why you, and, and like Christy said, I can I, from this big, I could argue my way out of anything. <laughs> and I've been getting myself in trouble with my mouth my whole life. So, so I have to be careful not to just tear down everything. Because it's like, put, you know, there, here's your hole in this argument. Here's your hole in this argument. And that's a dumb reason for thinking that. Like, that's not going to help. Okay, I have to put value on her. So. And he has. So. Yeah. I know. It sounds like a probably. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes. Sometimes. Okay. Is that helpful? 
Yes, it is. I just, I think that it's important, like for me, when I've noticed that our communication has been good, is when um, we're able to, like you said, and I think the value of the other person's opinion, you, you kind of have to speak in, you can't be emotionally charged. Yeah, right. Because yeah. if you talk to somebody and right. their tone is a certain way, yeah. For sure. Right. So yeah. when you come together and you speak, all right, let's figure this out. Yeah. Yes. Our yeah. goal is to come to some sort of a compromise. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think if there's not a lot of room there for yeah. my tone to be higher yeah. or for my emotional charge to come. Right. Right. The thing about love relationships that are challenging is you're emotionally invested in them. Like, you know, often you, you know, sometimes you might feel like you were, you were kinder to that person that we just ordered a McChicken from <laughs> than you were to me. And it's like, well, I have no emotional investment in that person. They don't irritate me. So, um, so you know what I mean? I mean, we're emotionally, so that's the challenge is we get emotionally charged. Let me, I'm gonna end with this. Um, I, have a, I have a good friend who has been, a, you know, very, they, they got married a, a little bit before us. They had kids just before us, so they were like the, you know, the guinea pig, and we got to learn from all the things they did wrong, but has served in a lot of ways as like a mentor. And we were talking, this was years and years ago, and he told me that, that he and his wife have developed um, rules for engagement, okay? So battle rules, like, you know, there's a Geneva Convention. And so they have three simple rules when they're fighting. Because the reality is, is you're going to have disagreement. You're going to fight. So, so they came up with rules. Like this is, these things cannot be broken. And they're, they're rules, you know, um, one rule is that um, they're never ever to mention divorce. Like that's, that's not it. Like that's not in there. Like we're not ending this relationship. Get over it. You better figure it out because we're in this forever. The second rule was um, that they couldn't bring up anything from the past. So, you know, if you're, you're just, you always do that, or, you know, whatever. Uh, last year, it's like, no, we should have. And the reason they didn't is that we should have already talked about that. That should have already been talked through. The, um, you know, apology should have been given. Forgiveness should have been extended. Restoration should, that should be a completed thing. We don't bring that up again. Like, we worked through that when we can't use it as ammunition for this one. And then the third one is no named calling. So you know when you know what happened. You see it happen all the time. You see it in debate, when in it, when an individual has very little material on the subject matter, then they just it, what's it called ad hominem or whatever debate. It's where where you just start to tear apart your you know, opponent. You're no longer dealing. And as soon as you hit that point where your emotions rise, and you start, you're just such an idiot. Like it's done. You are no longer having a conversation. You're no longer working constructively towards accomplishing something. All you're doing now is creating new things to argue about later. And so it, it's very important that, that you know, when you start to see, when you, you know, because emotions rise and you, you're upset. And when it hits that point, what happens at that point is you have now become, instead of, instead of becoming a counsel trying to determine a good solution for a situation, you've become now two opposing armies shooting at each other. And so this person says something, and then it's human nature to, you dropped, you dropped TNT, I'm going to drop, right? 
you're, you know, you're going to get, and it keeps building. It keeps building. And there's, you know, like, like, you know right back here, there's something that I can say right now that will end this argument. <laughs> but it will, it will create such long-term devastation. Like, this is, this is going to be Nagasaki. This is going to be an uninhabited area for decades if I say this, right? We know that. So we have to be at that point where we say, listen, we can't name call. And if we're, if we're trying to resolve something, we have to say, we're not attacking each other's character. We're not attacking each other's personhood. We're, not doing, we're actually trying to resolve something. So if we don't name call, we don't bring up the past, and we're in this forever, we're going to be OK. So yes? Sure. I don't think you should be that person either who, in the midst of all this that we're talking about, says, do whatever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are my worst, worst <laughs> right? Do whatever you want. <laughs> I can't wait for her to say that. <laughs> no, I'm just I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. Like, woo! <laughs> Father, we, we want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you love us, and thank you, Lord, that, um, Lord, we, th th we know every one of us, there are serious matters in our homes we need your help with, um, but we also know, Lord, that you love us. Your, your word says, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Your word talks about the victory that we have in you, and that, Lord, um, we, are, we can succeed in this thing called marriage and family, and so... Uh, we just pray for your help. And, and for those that are facing real, real life struggles right now, and part of the reason for being together this weekend is to seek you for those things, help them, Lord. Provide for them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.